Good morning. Good morning. What's up, guys? Happy New Year. How are y'all? You guys seem very awake. Well done. Very proud of you guys. Pete moved my music stand. I'm going to move it back. Pete. Um, as Pete said, my name is Steve Noble. I work with the middle school students here. Um, middle schoolers, anyone? Hey, no cow today, by the way. Stay here. What's up? Um, I have the privilege uh, today of kicking off our new Hopeful series. Over the next few weeks, as a church, we're going to be looking at the hope that we enjoy as believers. Um, and what, what is that hope? And more importantly, we're going to look at the source of that hope. It's our goal that through this series, we as a church would be able to, to direct ourselves back to the person and the character of our God. Um, today, as is fitting on New Year's Day, um, I'd like to talk with you briefly about new beginnings. What are the new beginnings that we hope for, that we long for as believers, and what can we realistically anticipate? Uh, before we do that, though, I hope you'll join me in a word of prayer. Lord, we are humbled by the opportunity to be here and to serve you. We have sinned and we have done wrong, and we carry a weight of burden and shame with us into this new season, God. But still, you are a God who is good, a God who redeems, who restores. And despite our brokenness, God, you want to use us. Thank you so much for that. Help us to step into that. Help us to, to, to embrace that and be willing to lay down the burdens and the shame and the guilt that we carry with us and lay those down at your feet. And to trust that you are a God who redeems. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. All right, you guys, I'd like to talk about new beginnings, and to, to, to get us going on that, I'd like to tell you guys a story. This is a story that Jesus told his, his followers once, and it's one that will be familiar to you guys. You'll recognize it, but I, I hope you'd be willing to hear this with new ears today. About, about the third sentence, I promise you're going to know the ending. Stay with me, all right? Cool? We can do that? Um, Jesus told his, his followers when he said, once there was a family, uh, a father and his two sons, presumably a mother, we don't um, read or, or learn much about him, but, but they were farmers and they did pretty well for themselves. They were reasonably successful. They had land, they had property, um, they had people who worked for them, and they had the respect of their neighbors. But all was, was not well in this family. The youngest of the two sons was really dissatisfied with where he was. He, he, he resented his family. He, he had a hard time coming to grips with the type of work and the nature of the work that he did. And so he comes to his father one day when he's a young man and he says, Dad, I'm done with this. I want out. So I don't want to be a farmer anymore. I don't want to be part of this family anymore. I'd like my share of my inheritance now and I'm going to leave this family. The father, as any good father would, fought for it. He fought to try and keep his family together, but this young man was not to be deterred, and so he took his share of the inheritance and he left. And Jesus says he moved to a faraway city where he moved there and he lived there, and Jesus says that he squandered everything that he had with foolish living. He lived fast and loose, and he, he spent what he wanted when he wanted, and he lived completely selfishly, and in doing so, he lost everything. He lost every penny that he had, he had taken from his father to this faraway city. And he might have been able to, to pull himself up by his bootstraps and figure something out and find a way for him to, to, to make, make it, but uh, Jesus says that at the same time, a famine hit the land. And as a lot of us know, when the economy turns, there's sometimes not a lot that you can do. And so this young man, his situation is bad. It turns uh, desperate. 
He, he has nowhere to stay. He has no way to feed himself. He wanders the streets of this glittering city that had once welcomed him so warmly when his pockets were full of money. And he walks the roads and, and the restaurants and the hotels that had been open to him were, were now completely closed. He struggled to feed himself. He found odd jobs. He did little things, but he couldn't, he couldn't sustain it. He couldn't take care of himself. He, he, his, he sold what little he had. His clothes became tatters, and he started to, to waste away. He was literally starving. Jesus says he hit rock bottom when he found himself working as a hand, a servant on a pig farm. And, and he was sitting there looking at the pigs eating their, their slop, and he was longing to fill his belly with the food that the pigs were eating. He was starving. And so he has a thought. He has a thought, one of those thoughts that we, that we all sometimes kind of have and we, we kind of hate because we know they're super right. Um, but so he's sitting there and he, he thinks, well, I have nowhere to go. I have nothing to do. And I know I can't go home. I know I can't go back to my father. I left my family. I burned that bridge. But maybe, just maybe, if I play my cards right, if I convince my father, uh, maybe he'll let me come back as a servant on his farm because I know my father has servants and they have food to eat. So he starts walking back. Remember, this is a faraway city. He, he, he almost certainly rode a, a, a camel or a horse or a donkey on his way out, but now he definitely walks. He has absolutely nothing, and his malnourished body aches and hurts with the toil of the, the long journey that he goes on. But, but the physical pain is nothing to the emotional distress of the burden of guilt and shame that he feels as he walks. It's, 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 it's a heavy burden that he carries, and with every step, it, it weighs on him, and his shoulders sag. His stomach is constantly in knots. For days he walks. On the third day, the landmarks start looking a little bit more familiar. He recognizes the hills and the trees and the villages of the land that he grew up in. He walks and tears silently stream down his face as he, as he thinks about his own childhood. If only 10-year-old him could see what he had become, the things he had done, he, 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 would, he would be so ashamed. But still he walks, he keeps moving, he keeps going towards his father's house, and finally he comes around a turn, and before him opens up the, the farm uh, that his father owns. And he stops, and he, he, he kind of tries to gather himself. This is a scary thing he's about to do, so he starts rehearsing. What am I going to say to my dad? What's going to happen here? And he's kind of gathering himself, and then he sees in the distance on the hill by the farmhouse, he sees a commotion. Someone is running towards him, so he screws his eyes up and kind of pulls the tears out so he can see what's going on, and he recognizes the outline of his father. His father is, is running towards him. He's an old man, and he does this kind of old man silly run, but his father is, is running through the fields towards him. And as he stands there, his heart sinks to his guts because he, he, he thinks, well, my dad's not even going to let me on the property. But he stands there petrified, having to kind of wait and see what's going to happen. So his father runs before him, and he kind of skids to a halt right before his youngest son. And they stand face to face for a moment. And then the father puts his arm around him and hugs him. The young man wasn't ready for that. He didn't anticipate that. He didn't, didn't expect it. So he kind of pulls back, but he's prepared. He's got his own statement. He, he knows what he's going to say. He says, Father, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against God, and I know I can't come back and be a son again, but maybe, just maybe, could I be a servant in your land, in your farm, so that I could have food to eat and that I might live? 
And the dad looks at him with compassion in his eyes, and you know the story, and he says, no, you're, you're a son. You've never stopped being my son. And so he, and he takes his ring off that signifies his place in the family, and he puts it on his, his youngest son's hand. And then he takes his shoulders, uh, or he takes his coat off his shoulders that signifies his place of respect in the community, and he puts it around the, 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 the bare and gaunt shoulders of his wayward son. And they walk arm in arm through the fields back up to the farmhouse. And as they go, the father calls everybody in from the fields and says, My son who was lost is found. Let's celebrate. Let's have a party. And the whole community comes together and they rejoice and they celebrate because this son who was lost has been found. Everyone except for, for who? The brother, right? The older brother is, is mad. He can't get over what his, son is, what his brother has done. He can't look past the things that he has, has done, the, the pain that he feels, uh, who this kid used to be. And he mopes and he whines. We, we know this story, right? We, we know it, and we, we celebrate it. We love it. I love that story. And I think we do. I think we embrace that story so much because in it we recognize the character of our God. We serve a God who stands with his arms open wide, always willing to, to welcome us back. No matter what we've done, no matter what, what sin we've allowed into our lives, no matter where we've gone, how far we've gone, God will always restore us. He will always welcome us back. God, we serve a God who loves and longs to restore us, to redeem us, to make us new. And that's a good thing. We serve a good God. And that restoration, that redemption that God offers, that we, that we celebrate, those are, we need that. I really need that in my life. I, re- I recognize that this is a time of year on New Year's where it's, it's appropriate for us to kind of take stock, right? We, we look at our lives and we evaluate what's good, what's bad, what, what are the patterns of, in my life that I've got to change? What are areas and pockets of sin that I've got to, to let go of and, and, and make new? And we look at ourselves and we see the broken pieces of our lives and we recognize that we really need that, we really need to be redeemed. We really need to be restored. So we, we, we serve a God and we worship a God who loves to restore us and redeem us, right? And we ourselves, we long to experience that redemption in our lives. But somehow, if you're like me, uh, I think we often fail to experience the fullness of that redemption in our lives. We, we fail to experience the, the renewal in, these, in the, all these areas of our lives, and we don't even expect to. How many of you guys have made New Year's resolutions? I, I do this every year. I do little things. I, I don't even expect myself to keep them past Tuesday. I, and it, and it's, it's silly to say, but the reality is, is that I, I long for this redemption and restoration, and I, I, I don't expect to experience it. And that equation doesn't add up. There's something wrong there. And I think I'd like to suggest that, the, that one of the main reasons we as believers fail to experience the, re, the, the fullness of the renewal and restoration that God has for us is because of our own unwillingness to let go of the burdens that we're carrying with us. Because we do ha- carry heavy burdens. 
We carry heavy weights of, of guilt and shame, and we come into this new year carrying baggage and pain and hurt and shame. And until we're willing to lay those things down and put them at the foot of the cross and trust God to redeem those areas of our lives, we're never going to experience redemption in those things. I like to suggest four things, four things that we, we as believers hold on to that we have to be willing to let go of. And I'm going to use that story of the prodigal son to kind of go through that. First thing that I think we hold on to in our lives way too tightly is I think we hold on to the sin in our lives. And that sounds ridiculous, I realize. But I think a lot of us hold on to sin in our lives. If we look at that story, this young man, he leaves his, his family, and it's easy for us to throw stones at him and just, he acted foolishly, Right? And it's easy because we have the benefit of perspective to look at him and say, you're, you're doing it wrong. You're making a mistake. But the reality is, is that this young man is, is leaving a situation and moving towards an opportunity that to him seems attractive. Oftentimes, the sin in our lives is in some way attractive. At times, it's even something we, we kind of enjoy it. We, we, it. It can be kind of fun, and it's easy for us now in this safe space to draw hard lines in the sand and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to allow that pattern anymore. I'm not going to keep going down that road anymore. But in a week, in a month, in two months, when we're given the opportunity to fall back into that sinful pattern in our lives, how often are we surprised by how attractive it is? And we kind of say, wow, it's not that bad. It's something, it's okay, it's okay, we can do it. It would be really nice if we lived in a Tolkien-esque world where everything that was good was like big and and light and had flowy hair and beautiful and everything bad was like dark and dreary and had fangly teeth. Um, But but that's not the world we live in, is it? Often the sin that that that, that we have in our lives are things that in and of themselves are good things. But we've twisted them. We've taken them to extremes. We've, we've, we're enjoying them in excess, and we've lost our good motive. We have our own little pet sins, things that we, we, we kind of hold on to, that we, like, I, I, I don't do other stuff, but this is okay. We're just not willing to let go of it. Paul, Paul talks all the time. He talks a lot about fleeing immorality. We, and that's what we have to do. We have to flee anything that is, that is immoral, that, that, is, that is a hindrance to us, that is something that slows us down, anything that is in any way sinful. Even if it started good, we got to flee from it. In fourth grade, I, uh, Mike's class read Where the Red Fern Grows. How many of us have read that? Yeah, I learned two big things that I want to share with you. Um, first, when you read Where the Red Fern Grows with your fourth grade class, sometimes you cry in front of everybody and you feel really embarrassed. That's just a, that's a free tip for you guys, um, just so you know. Second thing, and this is more important, I want to go into more in depth, um, Where the Red Fern Grows teaches us how to catch raccoons which is awesome. Um, Fourth grade me loved that. Here's the deal. Apparently, I've never tested this. Apparently, if you take a log and you hollow it out a little bit and you drill a little hole, little hole right in the top, and you put something shiny in there, like like a piece of foil, a raccoon will come along and they'll take their, 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 their loose hand and they'll stick it and then they'll grab their shiny treasure. And now that their hand's in the hole and their fist is clenched, it's bigger and they won't be able to get it out. So they'll stay there and you'd think they'd let go, right? 
They think they let go, but they really like shiny things. So they'll stay there and they'll stay trapped only by their own selfishness. Until, until someone comes and takes them or they, they will stay there till they die. Often we feel bound by our sin. We feel trapped by our sin. We feel caught in our sin. But the Bible says that if you are in Christ, that, that you are not bound by your sin, that those chains have been broken, that they have fallen free from you. The reality, at least for me more often than not, is that when I feel caught by my sin, it's me that's doing the catching. I'm holding so tightly to something that I'm not willing to let go of, and until I do let go of it, I'm not going to experience the redemption and the fullness of the restoration that God has for me. We've got to be willing to let it go. This is what the Bible says. This is Hebrews 12.1. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and then let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We need to be willing to throw aside, cast aside everything that slows us down, that hinders us, that, 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 that causes us to be less than who God has for us to be, and then we can run. Then we can run with endurance the, the race marked out for us. But I think it is important for us to acknowledge that sometimes the sin in our lives is attractive. It can be fun. That young man, he, he, he hit rock bottom, so it, it probably made it easier, but he still had to be willing to leave that glittering city that so warmly welcomed him when his pockets were full of money. Yes. He had to be willing to leave, and he was never going to experience redemption until he left. Second thing that I think we hold on to, and this is important, I think we hold on to the shame of our past selves. How many of us resonated with, with, with the idea of that son walking back towards his father just carrying this heavy burden of shame? It's palpable, right? I, I, I've been there. I've been there too many times. I think a lot of us are kind of trudging into this new year and we're carrying a heavy load, a heavy burden. We know what we've done. We have done wrong. We have left things undone that we really should have done. We have behaved shamefully. We have done things that are embarrassing that we should never have done, and we hold on to that shame. We've got to be willing to lay it down at the foot of the cross. The Bible says that, that, that if we confess our sins, then God is faithful and he is even just to, to cleanse us of, of those sins and purify us from, uh, in all in, in all, from all unrighteousness. That if we, if we confess those sins, if we lay those sins before God, God will purify you. You are not defined by the sins of your past. You are not, you are not the sum of your misdeeds. You are, you are so much more than that. If you are in Christ, you are defined by, by the stamp that Christ puts on you saying that you are redeemed, that you are justified, that you, you are a new creation. Too often, too often, we, 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 we're unwilling to let go of that shame. If we're gonna experience the fullness of, of what God has for us, we gotta lay it down. Psalm 103 says this, it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed his transgressions. God is standing with his arms open wide, ready to welcome you, but you gotta be ready and willing to lay that shame down. The, the young man in our story, he felt great shame and he, he deserved to. It's appropriate as humans for us to feel shame. When we do wrong, we should feel guilt. We should feel shame. But the, the young man did something really, really important. He kept moving. 
He felt that shame and it could have been paralyzing. It could have crippled him. It could have caused him to never go home. But he kept moving towards his father. And at the appropriate moment, at the ultimate time, he allowed his father to put that ring on him and to clothe him with with his cloak and to welcome him back into the fold. You are not bound by the sins of your past. You are not defined by the things you are done. You are a new creation. We got to let go of our shame. Third thing that I think we hold on to, that if we're going to be all that God has for us, I, I think we have to let go of, we hold on to a vision that's too small. Here's what I mean by that. The, the young man, he, he's, he's going back. He, he kind of realizes what he's done. He's going back to his dad and he says, maybe I can be a servant again. I can't be a son. Maybe I can be a servant. And he goes to his dad and what does the dad say? He says, no, you're a son. You're a son. You've always been my son. I want, I want you to be a part of this family. I think often we, we feel so heavily this, our sense of brokenness and we kind of approach God and say, maybe you can use this. And, and, and we hope for a small role, right? Yeah. We hope for a small role that maybe, maybe he'll give us something little to do where we can't mess it up or we're just pulling a little lever and, 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 and it'll be okay. But, but God's not in the business of using broken people. God's in the business of taking broken people and completely restoring them and making them to be a new creation. And once he has done that, God wants to use me and he wants to use you. He wants to use Christ's church to change the stinking world. And that, that's just the reality. But too often we're looking, we're just hoping for this. God's plans are so much bigger. We have to, we have to let go of that small vision. We've got to look higher. If we need examples, we look, we look to the scriptures. Look at the people that God used throughout the Bible to change the world. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Moses was a murderer. Paul actively worked against the people of, our, uh, of, the, of God. The 11 disciples, five were fishermen who really had a hard time believing. Peter three times denied Christ. Matthew was a swindling tax collector. God didn't just take them and find small roles for them. God took them and completely renewed them, completely restored them, and he used them to change the world. We need to dream bigger. We need to anticipate a full redemption, a full restoration. We got we to gotta know with every ounce of us that God is going to use us for crazy things. God will use the, the, the church to change the world. I believe that. But we have to accept that and we got to anticipate that. Fourth thing that we hold on to, and this is a little change, but this is important too. I think we often hold on to a vision of who others used to be instead of who they've been made to be now. Look at the brother in that story. So this young guy, he, he, he totally blows and he comes back and he experiences this, this redemption moment and everyone's celebrating and partying except for his brother. His older brother's in the field saying, ah, who cares? I know who he is. I know what he's done. He's, and he, he can't get over what, what his brother's done to the family. He can't look past it. We're eager for, for change in our own lives. And, and when we do find it, when we do kind of find that sweet spot, we celebrate it and we, we know it's real. But then when we see it in other people, how quick are we to, to doubt? To kind of doubt the validity of like, oh, I don't know. I know what that guy's done. And it can't be that way. There's a guy um, I went to high school with. I won't say his name. Um, but, but he, in high school, he got in a lot of trouble. He, he, he got in a lot of trouble. He did some things he shouldn't have done. Um, we'll leave it there. Um, I, I, I didn't keep in any touch with this guy. 
10 years, I haven't even thought his name. Last week, his face popped up on my Facebook feed. And I clicked it, I was just curious. And this guy was just, I had a picture of who he used to be and what he used to do. And I clicked on it and I saw this guy has completely turned his life around. He's married, he has two kids, and he's, he's working as a pastor at, at, a, at a church in California. And I saw this, and I genuinely celebrated. I was very happy. I was like, that's really cool, what a cool thing. But there was a part of me. There was a little voice back here that, that was kind of chirping and just said, nah. <laughs> no way, no way, no way that guy is doing that. And I, I doubted the validity of the redemption that he experienced. If we as a church are going to do big things, if we as a church are going to step into the fullness of who God wants Christ church to be, if we're going to make the difference in our community and our state and our, our world that God has for us, we need to be willing to recognize and celebrate God's hand and God's work in other people too. We've got, we've got to see, see them and not see them as they were. We need to see their redeemed, restored selves, and we got to celebrate it. we got to cheer them on, and we got to welcome them into the fold, and then as a community, then together, we can go and we can do big things. God wants to redeem you. God wants to restore you. God wants to restore Christ's church. He wants us to experience a fullness of redemption and restoration that we never thought possible in any of our lives. But we have to be willing to lay down all that garbage we're bringing with us. Because we got baggage, we got hurt, we have anxieties, we have pain, we have doubts, we have things and it weighs us down. And as long as we're clinging to those things and we're not laying them at the foot of the cross, we will never experience the fullness of the, re the restoration God has for us. I'd like to close um, really quickly with another story. And I know I, I tell a lot of stories, hope that's okay. Um, there was a guy who lived, he grew up in Thailand um, near the Malaysian border. He was uh, a young man, grew up to a, actually a Christian parents. Um, but as a teenager, he moved uh, to the city of Bangkok where he got in some trouble. He fell in with a wrong crowd and, found, and, and this led to that. He ended up kind of, he got himself involved with drugs. And then doing drugs led to selling drugs. Dealing drugs it, uh, led him into the, the world of prostitution. And by the time he was in his early 20s, he was a, a, a kind of mid-level cog in one of the largest drug and crime syndicates in Southeast Asia. And then the bottom fell out of his world. He was arrested publicly and shamefully. He was on TV. People knew his face and they knew what he had done. He was imprisoned, he went to jail, and, and, and it, it, while in jail, he experienced a, 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 a time of redemption and restoration. He came back to, the, to trusting the Lord. But then he got out, and he, people knew him. They knew his face, they knew what he had done, they knew, they knew his, his story, and he just had nowhere to go. And so he thought of his father, he thought of his father, but he didn't want to subject his family. He had brought great shame on his family. He didn't want to subject his, his family to the embarrassment and shame of having to turn him away at the door. So he wrote a note. He wrote a letter to his dad. He said, he said Dad, I, I, I know I don't deserve anything I've done. I, I've brought great shame on our family, but I have nowhere to go. I would love to come home. 
He said, here's what I'm going to do. I don't want to just show up at your door. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on the train. I'm going to ride the train from Bangkok that goes right through our village. And, and I'm going to look out the window. If you will have me, if you will take me back, I want you to hang just one piece of white fabric in the tree out in front of our yard. And so he gets on the train. And he goes, and as you, any of us would, he's going, and, and, and the, the weight and the burden of the shame and the guilt of what he had done and what he had put his family through was, was overwhelming to him. And he got about halfway, and he slid down in his chair, weeping, and he couldn't bring himself even to look out the window. A kind passenger near him looked over and, and asked him what was going on. He saw the crisis, and this young guy shares a, a bit of his story. And this passenger offers to watch out the window for him. So they go through, and they go through the village, and this, this, this passenger is looking out the window, and as he's looking, he, he's kind of feeling the stress of the situation himself, and then a big grin grows on his face. And he looks down at this guy who's weeping on the floor, and he says, he says, my friend, your father hasn't hung just one piece of fabric in the tree. There are hundreds of pieces of fabric on every branch, and he's put sheets over your house, and he's standing on the doorstep, <laughs> waving a white flag. He says, friend, I think you can go home. <laughs> we talk about this new year like it's a new beginning. It's a clean slate. It's a fresh start, but we know it's not. We're, we're coming into this season carrying heavy burdens. We, we're, we're carrying burdens of our own guilt, the things that we have done. We're carrying with us um, habits and sins and patterns in our lives that are shameful and we feel the weight of that. We, 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 we have anxieties that hurt us. We have doubts and, and burdens that we carry. There are broken relationships that we are, we are struggling to, to find a way to piece together and we, we hold all that and the, the, the temptation is just to slide down in that seat and just figure, I, I can just keep swimming. I'll be okay, I'll find a way. But you don't have to. You don't have to. The God who made you, the God who loves you, who knows every day of your life and everything that will ever happen to you, he is standing on the proverbial front doorstep of your heart, waving a white flag, pleading with you to come home. God wants to take those burdens. He wants to carry that for you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to restore you in a way that you could never dream even possible. But we have to be willing to come to him. We have to be willing to lay those burdens down. I hope you will. I hope we will. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you are good. You are good. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve the grace and the mercy you show us, but we receive it. We are so grateful. God, as we step into this new year, into this new season, God, we ask that you would give us courage to be willing to lay down our burdens, to cast all our anxieties on you and trust that you care for us. God, you are a good God. And we know that well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.